Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. We're going to be speaking with Sal Khan, uh, founder and CEO of Khan Academy, and many of you recognize his face. You'll recognize his voice for sure, and know Khan Academy. But it, you know, we were just talking off air, but we're the same age, and we talk. Gosh, it's almost been a decade ago. Um, I believe I did an interview with you for Scholastic a long time ago, and so it's been kind of neat to watch from afar and get a sense and sensibility about you um, as a leader in the education space. But today. What we want to talk about, Sal, is is actually, you know, look, we're both fathers. And so we, I think we, we share a, a, a mutual, a passion for men and our ability to support the growth and development of our kids and kids in our in our community. So that's really the angle that we want to we want to talk about today. And so everybody can look at and they can Google all the amazing statistics with Khan Academy and all the impact that you've had around the globe. And I'll give one out there because I do think it's incredible, but I know you talked about an interview with University of Miami, 12 billion learning minutes in 2020, I believe is what you had, you had mentioned. And it's just incredible when we think about just how the world has changed and the way we, the way we communicate and and learn um, disciplines across the globe. How has life changed for you, Sal? Put your parent hat on. Talk about the last decade, right? So 2004, you're, you know, you're tutoring you know, your cousin and that starts to expand, right? You're in Boston and your cousin's back in New Orleans and then you get 10 to 15 family members and it just sort of evolves from there. And then they say, you know, you become this, this tiger cousin of sorts, right? And, uh, and you're saying, look, I think my cousin should be sort of reassessed around math and, and she's making some developments here. And they start to say, you know, look, cousin Sal, we really like we like you, but we like it on, we like your teachings on YouTube, right? So you get this sort of experience of young people that happen to be in your family. How did all of those early days of the Khan Academy impact you in your estimation, in your ability and understanding of young people that you then brought to being a parent? Yeah, it's an interesting question. As you mentioned in 2004, which is when I started tutoring Navia, she had come to Boston for my, she'd come to New Jersey for our wedding. That's where my wife grew up. And then she came, her and her family came and visited me in Boston, which is where I was living. And they were all in New Orleans, which is where I was born and raised. And uh, tutoring Navia, I always had a, a desire to to get deeper in this education space. The fact that my cousin, who was 12 years old at the time, was struggling and being placed into a slower math track was an immediate need. But honestly, as a newly married guy, my wife uh, was in her uh, actually her third or fourth year of medical school at the time, so I had some extra time on my hands. She was she was very busy. <laughs> it was it was nice to actually be able to connect with family, even family that was 1,500 or, or 2,000 miles away. And even with that experience, where I worked, I worked with Nadia. It helped her. Then I started tutoring her younger brothers. Word spread in my family. Free tutoring is going on. And before I knew it, 10, 15 cousins. I actually, from a parent point of view, I realized how powerful it is to have a member of a family or a close friend who is in between generations, uh, who can help guide students. I remember even at the time where I, ha- I had no kids back then, but I remember thinking, all right, I'm going to work with Nadia and Ali and Arman right now, but I hope they pay it forward once my kids are are 12, 13, 14, because there were things that they could talk about with me and feel comfortable with me that they thought it was lame to talk about with their uh, with their mom and dad. So that that actually hit me from those early days. It also showed me how much it's very easy when you live in the same house with someone, with your with your partner, with your with your children. 
that you're with each other all the time, but you oftentimes, all your interactions, you don't get that many deep interactions. And what I was able to do with my cousins is, yes, the, the goal was around math, but the fact that we were on, on the phone together, we had dedicated time to each other, with each other, allowed us to in some ways have more deep conversations than if we were just living in the same house and you know, trying to catch the bus to, to school and trying to take care of homework and get food on the, as, as all of us as parents have to deal with all the time. And so you fast forward to now, Khan Academy is taking on a life of its own. I've had to keep reminding myself to not let Khan Academy overtake my life. Uh, my kids are now 12, 10, and seven. And even my 12-year-old, I'm like, where did that time go? He's going to be in our house for another five, six years. Let me slow down. Let's, it's not just about living together or having transactional conversations. Let's make, let's make sure that we have time uh, to really uh, dig deep together and, and do things together. So uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's been, I, I, I'm lucky that my day job, so to speak, is now very much focused on how do we keep young people engaged and feeling supported and uh, be in a position to reach their potential. I just have to remind myself to, to live by that as a parent as well. Let's talk specifically about being a dad and how things have changed. I, I think, look, we said at the beginning, we're, we're the same age. And, and I do think that sort of our age group, we are a little bit between two floors on an elevator when we think about just expectations and roles and assumptions about being a dad and how that has evolved almost as rapidly as technology iterations. It just feels like we have collapsed timelines and we're, we're making advancements, I think, as men and as dads to be better, to be more present and attentive. Whereas Hollywood for years and generations portrayed being a good dad as you know, helping your child learn how to use a hammer or tools or, you know, like those were the value, the points of value in that relationship exchange um, or the, you know, sort of the gruff nature or the, you know, go get them attitude as opposed to these deeper conversations that you just mentioned. How do you think about the role of being a dad and how it's changed over time? Now, I don't imagine you going out with your kids and I don't, I didn't either because I didn't learn this, but you know, you have different skill sets, right? And and I would imagine that those points in time when you're you're helping your your three children learn and experience what it's like to be in relationship with you as their dad, you found those traditions and created those opportunities. But how has that arc changed for you? And where do you think we are just as dads in general in this country? Yeah, the evolution, we could look at sitcoms as a as a signal of the evolution. You could go back to the leave it to beaver world where the, the stereotype of a dad's role is to go make the money, deal with corporate politics, et cetera, et cetera. Come home, put the briefcase down, you're tired, and then you're, you're kind of taken care of. <laughs> that was, that was uh, the, 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 quote, successful, successful father. Uh, then you get into the 70s and 80s, and it kind of became the signal that I think both men and women got was that success in corporate America was everything that do what it takes. Greed is good. It's all right. If you got to make some sacrifices at home. In fact, if you're not making sacrifices at home, you're not really committed to your work. Uh, and I think that was a huge disservice to everyone uh, because I'd like to believe that we're now entering into a stage, at least I'm living in a stage now where Success is neither of those things. It is having a really solid balance, having work that you enjoy, that you feel purpose towards. Yes, you need to put food on the table, and this is for both men and women, 
you need to be able to support your family. But uh, even there, uh, beyond a certain point, you have to think about how much more do you really need? Uh, and that might be different for everyone. Uh, but then also that the scarcest thing that you have, the most valuable thing you have is one, your own mental health and your, your, your health, but also that time and those experiences that you have with your family. You're starting to see this a little bit. It's, it's common for people our age to complain about millennials and Gen Z and all of that. But you are seeing Gen Z and millennials, if I were to stereotype, be more open about uh, taking you know, you know, self-care more seriously or having balance with friendships and families more seriously. But I'd like to believe this is becoming a more mainstream thing. I like to model it in the organization. I don't feel like I'm signaling to my team that I'm not hardworking if I say, sorry, I can't do that thing at 7 p.m. I'm going to have dinner with the family or I'm happy to do something on a Sunday if it's an emergency, but I think it's actually healthier if we keep that time for our families, time to recharge so that when we come to work, it's just no nonsense. I'm much more of a believer. Let's cut the fat out of work. Let's cut the bureaucracy out of work. Let's make it hyper efficient and impactful so that you will have other time where you can let go of your work and, and really be a member of your family. Let's talk about, I think being a, a parent, not just a dad, but being a parent these days is challenging in the topics and the, the type of topics that are being really sort of forced into the face of our kids just through popular media. I mean, the screens that kids have access to now, you know, it's very hard to shelter kids, whether or not we want to do that or keep them as young as possible, as my wife would, would, would like to do with our, with our young family. But it makes me think about the challenge in communicating and having conversations with our children that maybe we weren't even prepped to do because we didn't have those experiences or there weren't so many um, challenging topics that our kids are now aware of that we weren't growing up. And I'm wondering how you think about you and your wife when you, you're talking about difficult conversations. You have a 12-year-old that is right just on, on the fringe of being a teenager and all the things that the your teenager is going to have to deal with that maybe you did or you didn't have to, but yet as a parent, you want to be there to broker the conversation. It's not just about them finding out for themselves, but you know, finding ways in which to create an open line of communication so that as they go through the trials and tribulations of teenage life that they can feel that they've got a pathway to mom and dad. Yeah. I can't say that I figured it all out. And as you mentioned, our oldest is 12. So we're on the verge of having a deal with some of these adolescent teen angst, all of the different issues that society might be projecting. I'm not sure if it's super different than we were kids. Obviously you now have the impact of social media. I think that's probably the, the biggest factor here. I do have a lens. I started a school back in 2014 called Con Lab School and now it's a high school, it's K-12. So we have teenagers there as well. I think we've been lucky as a family in that to some degree, because my kids go to a, a small lab school, it, the, the kids are able to stay younger in a good way uh, from from an innocence point of view, on relative to the middle school that I went to, which which got very real, very fast, and I would I would argue too real, too fast, uh, and in a way that really could, you know, put a lot of un unhealthy pressures on young people, and that continued in, in into high school, and we know there's a lot, and this this way predates social media. There's a lot of cultural influences. I know I'll sound very traditional when I say this, but in a in a mainstream uh, high school. The culture around, you know, athletics are great, uh, but the culture around athletics are everything. Uh, you know, there might be certain privileges that the football team has that other people don't have. 
the, the cheerleaders and whatever else. It's funny. I've been watching Friday Night Lights uh, lately. I never saw it when it came out in 2006 or 2007, <laughs> but it reminded me of high school. I went to high yep. school in, in, in Louisiana outside of, outside of uh, New Orleans and Metairie, Louisiana. It was very much like the high school I went to. And I was like, wow, this is such an unhealthy. And I know this is still pretty typical in a lot of high schools. It's such a hard environment. So I, I feel fortunate that my kids don't go to a, a school that has quite those those pressures. Uh, but as I observe uh, the high, the middle schoolers and the high schoolers at our lab school and obviously other family friends and, and family that we have, I do think parents need to get need, need to draw some hard lines around social media. I think if they don't, uh, it's it's leading to a high variance outcome with the variance skewed to the bad outcomes. I don't see a lot of positive outcomes. I guess maybe your child could become a really positive social media influencer in a good way. And, or they, you know, they, they start teaching math on YouTube or something like that, <laughs> right. but, but there could, there's a lot of not so great outcomes. If they start getting immersed in social media, uh, we definitely know folks who's, and I do think it's hitting young girls harder uh, where the cyber bullying, the, as you, uh, look at more people's social media posts, you start losing your own self-esteem, getting anxious, depressed, and then that makes you use the social media even more. We've seen that. I've seen that not just in just teenagers. I've seen that in people in their 20s and even sometimes 30s. So I think this is the type of thing where never before, when we were kids, you might have had a TV in your bedroom. And even then, you might have had cable. I didn't. and the TV was like 13 inches. And so it was limited of what you were, what you were going to watch. Uh, but now to have something in your room where you can constantly stalk or have be cyber bullied and never escape from it. And it has been fine tuned by organizations worth trillions of dollars to keep you as hooked as possible. It could be a very dangerous situation, I think. Let, let's talk about the world that we do live in now, where I, I just toured a school for a story and they have one of the first... Uh, high school entrepreneurial programs in the country. And what I thought was really fascinating is just this look at supporting what will be commonplace for these young people, but was not commonplace for us. Right. And, you know, I don't even know if I knew what the word entrepreneur was growing up. I mean, it would just, you know, either your parent worked in a factory or your parent worked in a sort of what they would have deemed a blue or white collar job. And they had been there and but being an entrepreneur is just the way these young people think now, right? They think about personal branding. They think about the way in which the image, right? To your point about the way in which it can impact their social emotional environment in context of uh, personally, how do you, what, what advice do you have for parents or how do you earn your, you and your wife approach it? Because I do think the perception out there is those who have done well being entrepreneurs um, might be the ones that to help us understand how to communicate a world where, Failure is going to be is an is an automatic. It will happen. Um, you will have challenges that will come your way. And if we're going to build resilience or a growth mindset, I know you've talked about growth mindset in the past. Uh, Carol Dweck's work it is how do we help to support that so that young people who are living in a world where the odds of them having their own business or at least attempting and going in that direction are much higher than they were, you know, forty years ago. Um, how do you think about that in supporting from a parent's perspective, how we can be there for them and talk about success, talk about failure in ways that might be much more, I think, up to date? Yeah, I think it depends on what the underlying deep motivation around the entrepreneurialism is. Entrepreneurialism mm-hmm. is obviously a very positive thing if you are looking at the world around you 
seeing where there's gaps, seeing where there's problems to solve, which are then opportunities. And then you're scrappy, you're putting resources together, you're connecting dots and you're creating solutions that'll create value in the world. And that could be as a for-profit business. It could be as a not-for-profit. That's amazing. And that's what I would want my own children to do and anyone's children. On the other hand, you sometimes, I think, might hear the entrepreneurialism come from, I don't want to report to anyone. It's all about me. This is my thing. I don't want to have to work for the man. And there could be a little bit of good in that, but there could also be some dangers in that where uh, you're not willing to put your head down, sometimes suck up your ego and say, I've got to do this thing. So for my own kids, I do encourage them to think entrepreneurially. And, and also think about how they could showcase themselves. For example, my 12-year-old, he loves piano and he also loves composing music. And I told him, I said, hey, this, this music composition, you might not realize it, but that's kind of interesting. And you might want to just, just record yourself, record your compositions, keep them someplace. You don't have to like, you know, make it all public and all that, but it'll be an interesting portfolio for you. At minimum, when you're older, it'll be fun to see the types of things you compose when you're 12 years old or 13 years old. But if this is something that you're really into, it could be a really powerful uh, calling card, uh, whether you're thinking about college, when you're thinking about a job, you know, even if someone's applying to be a software engineer, I'd be curious if someone is a great music Absolutely. composer too, I I'm intrigued by them. So I I'm encouraging my kids to think in that way, but it should not be, we should minimize the, uh, the, the, the self-centeredness or the narcissism. And, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of that. I, I, I won't claim that I've completely avoided that in my, in my life. Uh, but I think that's the kind of stuff that might make you also more fragile, might make you less resilient when you really tie your ego to outcomes uh, rather than to like, hey, I'm just going to keep trying to do the right thing. The outcomes are what they are. And then I'm going to look at the outcomes and then regroup and keep working on and, and keep and, and keep trying to innovate from there. And this isn't about my identity or my ego. It really is about uh, what, what can I what I can do for the world. And I know you've talked about in the past publicly about, you know, the praising the process and the struggle uh, in, in that in that vein. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that has how that's played out for you and your family with your children? When you think about what how they respond when you're not focused on you know, the ability or the end goal in mind that might be the traditional way to look at it. It's interesting. You know, all the research around growth mindset, which is very in vogue right now from folks like Carol, Carol Dweck and Angela Duckworth, they're, they're the ones that really have come up with that literature around you want everyone, including ourselves or our children, a growth mindset is a better mindset to have than a fixed mindset in life. A growth mindset, a fixed mindset views failure as failure. It views it as a reason to stop trying something. It views it as a label. It's failure is something to avoid. And you know where that leads. If you're afraid of failing, you're not going to try things or you're going to give up uh, pretty easily. Uh, on the other hand, if you have a growth mindset, you realize that, hey, failure is a moment of learning, a moment of reflection. I'm really not going to understand what I am capable of doing unless I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone, fail every now and then, reflect on that failure and uh, to, to, to keep going. And one of the ways to reinforce a growth mindset is to focus students on process over outcome. And uh, that makes a lot of sense. Hey, instead of saying, you're amazing, you're so smart, saying, hey, I really like how much effort you put into that. And I'm really impressed what you did when you saw that hard problem and you got it wrong a few times. I love the fact that you didn't give up and that you kept persevering. Hopefully next time you see a hard problem, you're gonna realize it's just a matter of maybe taking a break, letting your subconscious work on it a little bit, and then keep going. Uh, that's the type of thing that I hope my my kids, and honestly, I need to tell that to myself all the time as well. It's easy to fall into a fixed mindset. I'll give another more 
spiritual dimension on a se- almost exactly the same thing in Vedic philosophy, which is you could view it as the core of Hinduism. Uh, if if you you know from the Vedas four thousand years plus, there's there's ideas that everything in everything in the universe has one of three aspects to it. One is called sattva, which is, means truthful aspect. Another one's called rajasic, which is almost um, I would say more ego driven aspect. And then the third is thamasic. You could almost say a chaotic aspect. And this is also your motivations for action or the type of action that you are doing. And sattvic action. And I've learned this framework only in the last several years. My, my, I did not grow up in a Hindu family, but this is something that I found very, 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 very powerful for me to build my own resilience and to do the right thing that I hope to share with my children, which is truthful action is saying, what is the right thing to do and not being fixated on the outcome? I'm going to do this because I think it's going to work, but if it doesn't work, I will reflect on it, learn from it and keep going. Rajasic action, which is where most of us act most of the time, is when we're acting for hope of a reward or when we're acting out of fear of a penalty. Hey, I got I better do this. Otherwise, the IRS is going to come for me. Or if I do this, I'm going to get the bonus. Or, wow, if I start this company, I could IPO one day and become a billionaire. That type of thing sets you up. One, it's a fixed mindset um, uh, in that you, you start to kind of index. But you, when you index on that outcome, you're almost setting yourself up for suffering. I mean, to go to another related Eastern tradition, Buddhism, you know, attachment is the cause of all suffering. When you're attached to the outcome, which isn't in your control, you're setting yourself up to be more fragile. And then the thamasic aspect is when you're just forced. It's chaotic. You don't really want to do it. Someone's dra- you're dragging your heels, uh, but you're doing it anyway. And so I've found a lot of peace by going from a rajasic mindset to a thamasic and the rajasic mindset. I'm like, oh, we worked on this thing, but we didn't get the outcome. The metrics are, oh my God, I'm a bad person or this is going to be horrible. And I was like, but now, but then when I saw the thamasic, uh, to the sattvic, to the truthful, I say, okay, look, I did what I can. There's new data. Let me regroup and let me now take more action, which is completely in line with growth mindset. And that's what I hope my my kids and frankly, everyone's kids can, can have that kind of a mindset. Let's talk about, I, one, I think it's fascinating to be speaking with you. I mean, look, you... What I love about your success is I don't I've never gotten the sense from you that that was the that was the goal, right? Khan Academy was not the goal uh, at the outset, right? It's sort of this happy accident that millions are benefiting from in that regard. And so you've been a fantastic steward of that um, of the platform and the environment, the ecosystem that has been built. How do you deal with that success in maintaining a sense of of being real with your kids? Meaning. How do you separate yourself from being Saul Khan when you are Saul and your dad uh, in that in that sort of vein? Because I would imagine as a young person, when you have a parent that has achieved a level of success, there can be this internal sort of strife in that I could never be my my dad or, or his achievements or my mom and these sorts of things. How do you think about that? How do you prepare to think about that as you do have a 12-year-old that is entering into a zone, a period of life where they're so much more aware of what, what a parent has accomplished or what they're doing that they may find uh, appealing and interesting. And how do, you, how do you make yourself aware so that you see that before it becomes an issue? It's a good question. And I don't claim that I have it completely figured out or even figured out at all, really. <laughs> I, it's something that I am conscientious of. And my wife, we're, you know, I, I'm not Brad Pitt, <laughs> but, but there are, um, there, there are contexts. And obviously in an education context, especially when I also started the school they go to. You can imagine the kids there might index a lot on it. Uh, I, you know, this is where I just, both my wife and I, we just try the, our best to 
make sure we're genuinely projecting to the kids that we care about the right things that we care about that they're good people that they're making that they're motivated not by their ego but by, by what's what they're going to be able to do right in the world that there isn't some hierarchy of good or better things to do in life whether it's around money or prestige or anything about that it's like are you are you an ethical person do you stand by your word can you contribute uh, are you willing to reach your potential and uh, which might have failure along the way are you are, are you willing to put, you know suppress your ego enough to do that one of the things that i've started doing and this is really for me and a lot of my mid 40 year old friends i started doing a sunday zoom actually we used to start in person in the park but when the pandemic hit it became on zoom which was cool because people all over the country in some cases, the world have been able to join, but I've done these Sunday morning conversations where we talk about these issues. Uh, how do you, what what are fears, and how do you cope with them, and where do they come from, and how have they evolved over time? Uh, what's your identity, your narrative? How has it helped you? How has it hurt you? And more and more so, uh, young people are joining. Some of the high school kids from Khan Lab School come. A lot of the uh, kids who are 13, 14, 15. I've just talked, started telling my son, hey, I'd like it if you could join this thing. It'll be really <laughs> interesting. And and I think that type of reflection is, is what's powerful. And I also try to be very open with my children when I'm having my moments of insecurity, when I'm feeling unsure about myself. I was going to ask that. If, does yes. that even, is that even more of, a, uh, of an intentional practice for you so that you you are personalizing you you're sort of decoupling yourself from the brand of Khan Academy and the dad right i am i am dad i we're part of a family here and so if i've if i've made a mistake or if i've erred or if i'm feeling sad today that maybe i'm going to ex express that more so that they never lose that connection yeah i try to be I, in all my relationships but especially with my kids I, and and my wife i try to be very open filter about where i am obviously sometimes i I think every every parent is sometimes embarrassed when you feel like there's something going on at work or a relationship that's not what you want it to be. And when someone asks you how you're doing, you're like, oh, it's fine. And you know, like, wow, that thing feels like it's blowing up, but I don't want to make them think that I'm, I don't know how to handle a relationship or how to handle something, but I, I try. I And I think that, you know, there's definitely not, there's... I think my kids are, are aware and they're proud of Khan Academy and that work. And obviously they go to a school that's associated. Uh, but I think they see that I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm more willing than most dads to engage in the, their potty humor uh, with my wife rolling her <laughs> eyes. Um, and I'm more willing than most to kind of say where, where I'm, I myself am facing, not in a way that would stress them out, but when I'm feeling stressed or saying, Hey, I'm having a hard day. You know, I won't give them all the details, but I'm like, yeah, this is going on. I'm not sure how to deal with this so that they see that when, when they they're going to face tough things in life as well. Uh, but they see everyone goes through it. It's not it's not that it was perfect for everyone else. Yeah, you're also. not immune. Yeah. Yeah. What what would you say are your blind spots as a parent? And the reason I ask that I should give some context, I always find that it it normalizes it and it brings it full circle for people when they they say, Oh wow! I didn't realize that I I share the same blind spot and or I never really thought about that. But my goodness, maybe I'm doing the same thing, or that's an area that I'd like to grow in, understanding my process, not just as a human, but as a man and as a dad. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I, I'm I'm probably not aware <laughs> by definition of all of my blind spots, but right. one of the things I do at least try to practice what I believe or what I preach, which I always don't do. Uh, for example, I just said, kids' childhood goes by fast. 
It's important to have meaningful time and engagement with them. I remember four or five years ago, I was invited to speak in China and uh, my oldest then he was, yeah, seven or eight years old. And I said, Oh, Hey, and I asked my wife, what if I brought Imran with me, my son? And she said, oh, fine. So I, you know, we, we had that trip. It was like four days. We took a trip together to China. That was awesome. It was like something that he's never going to forget. He still talks about it. I'm never going to forget. It's once again, we live with each other all the time, but just to have that focused time and attention. And I, I had a mental note at the time. I, I need to do this regularly. I need to do this with all my kids. I should do this at minimum a couple of times a year. It doesn't have to be something as exotic as China. It could be, you know, I have to go to Des Moines. I've never had to go to Des Moines, but like, you know, I have to go, <laughs> you know, even for an overnight regular trip, it means the world yeah. for them, just even in the plane or in the, the car trip to be talking with each other one-on-one, -on -one, not to have their, the focus uh, diluted amongst their siblings. But as much as I say that, it's amazing how time goes by and you're like, wow, I haven't done anything like that in the last year. Uh, you know, I haven't even had, I haven't even taken them out individually for lunch in the last year. Um, I, we've done a lot as group things as a family, which are great too, but that one-on-one -on -one connection time, I think has, I, I haven't invested as much in that as I, I want to. And I, it's just dawned on me, oh, I mean, my 12 year old in five, six years is going to go to college. I, you always dream about having all these great experiences together and uh, the time is limited. Let's close with this, Sal. I think I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you for advice for parents out there. So we're going we're gonna to talk shop a little bit here. Um, you know, when I think back to, we've been talking about dads and sort of generational differences and, and similarities, but, you know, you think back to those times that those that have, and it doesn't have to be a dad because not everybody has a father in their lives, but a parent or a caregiver that they go to to help with homework, right? Or that, that, that space and time when a young person says, I need assistance, my parent or caregiver, I'm going to go to them, but the odds of them understanding how to help me, I may not feel terribly confident because, you know, who knows if they, they know uh, how to support me. I think what's interesting about the pandemic and, and sort of bringing everything into a, and onto a screen was this, this sense of immediacy, right? Even with young kids in early learning, it was, I need to get on here. And you had, you had to help at every sort of minute level, which was even how to sign into a Zoom and am I doing it right? So your help in homework took on what felt like a much bigger, broader uh, application than it ever did before. And I'm wondering if you have advice for, for parents that want to engage, that want to be a part of that educational process in a world that can be foreign to a lot of parents, parents that are working three shifts, single parents. I mean, you just sort of, you, you name it, right? We are, we are truly a very complex society of, of parents and children. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on how to approach it being that person that can help to support a young person primarily their child or children in their homework, their ability to understand that learning when they're not at school and they're at home? It's a great question. And obviously it gets increasingly difficult if you're the only parent in the house. And if you're working two jobs or in some cases, three jobs, and you have very limited time and you come home and you're tired, the ideal, and we don't do this always at home, but my wife and I, we increasingly have been really trying to enforce, let's have at least one meal together a day usually dinner, and let's make sure the TV's not on, people aren't checking their phones, including the adults, and that we are having real conversations. So it's not just how was school and the kids go fine. Uh, it's what was the best thing that happened today? What was your rose of the day and your thorn of the day? Um, and then ask them, you know, you know, interesting questions, the kind of things that we discuss on our Sunday conversations, you know, like, so what, 
how much are you motivated by your ego? <laughs> like, and, and they might say, well, what's an ego? And we're like, well, ego, <laughs> what do you think an ego is? Or something like that. I think having those next level conversations, incredibly powerful. And these are the things that students or kids are going to remember. If you have more time and support, and I, I don't claim everyone does, and it's hard for us to do it in our household, Khan Academy can be an interesting thing to index around where you say, hey, let's work on Khan Academy together every day for 20 minutes. First of all, we have plenty of efficacy studies that'll dramatically accelerate your, your children if you did that. But the more important thing is it gives you something substantive to uh, index around and that's intellectual. And that for you as a parent to also not make it sound like you figured out everything to say, hey, yeah, it's been a while since I did this or I haven't learned it that way. Maybe we can uh, try this practice together or solve it. Or maybe let's watch the video together and see if we can explain it to each other. Uh, that type of thing, I think, could be really beautiful interaction, modeling for the student that it's never too late to learn this material. They'll accelerate their learning in the meantime, but a lot of interesting, I think, very personal interactions will happen. Another thing is that I try to do it, especially my seven-year-old, the, the reading together at night is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Uh, I've been trying to do it more frequently, like most days, but every now and then I'm not able to do it. And I, I miss it uh, that we didn't spend that 20, 30 minutes at night. We, we've been reading all the Harry Potters together, where I'm reading it to him. And the Harry Potter language is, is actually much more sophisticated than your average seven-year-old. It sure is when you're under he the pressure. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to read it on his own with right. high comprehension. But for us to read it together and for us to talk about it, uh, I think has been like one of these gifts that, uh, that I want to make sure I don't lose track of. Well, I, I think that in in just even the brief exchanges we've had over the last decade, you've maintained your sense of self from from my seat, and and that you know is to be applauded. And given the growth and the success of Khan Academy, and I think we're all the better for it. So, uh, Saul Khan, it's been great to spend some time with you and get to know you as a dad and as a uh, community member and citizen. Thanks so much, Sal. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad, you know, I, I, I'm ha always happy to have your praise, but um, it's not as hard as you think. My life is not as glamorous as you might imagine. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> Demonstrating it even as we close. Once again, I want to thank Sal Khan of Khan Academy. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.